Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Happy Sunday, uh, Nashville Vineyard, and everyone that's tuning in and, and watching. We know people watch all over the world, which is amazing to us, and we're so thankful for that. We don't take that for granted. So welcome, everyone, uh, back here to another edition of Nashville Vineyard Live. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this detour. I hope you're you're getting something out of this detour that we're in. Uh, just to sort of give a, a quick recap, if you haven't uh, been with us during this time, if you're just tuning in. Do, do, do us a favor, go back, watch watch the last few weeks uh, as we began to transition uh, into what the Lord was leading us into during this time. He interrupted our thoughts and basically said there's there's things coming that we have to be prepared for. We have to, we have to re- restore and repair the foundation. And so he's taking us through this series to learn about biblical stewardship, biblical uh, giving, and uh, biblical loving. And so we're still in the stewardship section. We're, we're learning how to steward our lives uh, because our lives were bought with a price. If we follow Jesus, they don't belong to us. They belong to Jesus and we are called to steward them. And so we're walking through the how do we steward them and we're going into the Ten Commandments and we're understanding that the commandments were, were given to us uh, and they're eternal. They're not the Ten Suggestions. They are the Ten Commandments. And we know through through things we've talked about earlier that they are still in play and and the Lord set them out so that they could be boundary markers for his people so that they can learn how to live a life under the rulership and authority of God. So so we're going to jump in. I'm going to pray before we do and uh, and then we'll get started. So Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for being with us today. We thank you for your word that is unchanging. We thank you for your presence. Would you send your spirit uh, in us, to us, surround us, to fill us to the full, to overflow? Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it is that you have for us today and hearts that can receive these words uh, that you've you've given us today. And it's, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. So... We're, we're sort of starting off uh, with this whole series underneath the umbrella of Isaiah 55, uh, starting in verse 6. Uh, this verse came to our intercessor prayer team. They called me and they said, we think this is the word of the Lord for this moment. I was already feeling some other things that seemed to coincide with all of this. And so it seems like this, this passage in Isaiah is for us, for, for you that are listening uh, today. And so there's a lot of implications I'm going to read uh, just just the first few parts of this, and then we're going to dive in uh, to what it has. It says here in Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him for to our God, and he will be abundantly pardoned. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth the bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, it shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar, shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So we think this is, this is what the Lord is saying to us in the moment starting with seeking, seeking him while he may be found. Uh, that This is a moment in time that he has separated us apart. He, he's, he's got us in this wilderness uh, mindset, this wilderness place. We're, we're all in the wilderness. Nobody knows what's going on around the world. Uh, in our cities, nobody knows uh, what is going to happen. It's a wilderness time. You're in there and I'm in there. But the wilderness was always for preparation. It was, it was for preparation to inherit the promise. And so the Lord uses these wilderness times to get us ready. And so we're in a wilderness time. He's saying that we should seek him in this moment while he may be found. And then right after that, it talks about repentance. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will be abundantly pardoned. So not only is this a time to seek him, it's a time to repent. It's a time to lay down things that maybe we've picked up along the way. It's a time to adhere to his word. It's a time to turn from our wicked ways. It's a time to stop doing things that we have been doing and to start doing the things that he has commanded us to do. Uh, some of us may even be being called higher and, and, and maybe things that we used to could get away with and, and not feel uh, conviction over. Maybe, maybe we're not supposed to do those things in this time now. Maybe they're not necessarily sins, but maybe he's calling us higher. I believe he is. And I believe he's calling us uh, to, to completely become a people that are set apart. That may mean that, that he's calling us to fast a couple of days a week. That may mean that, that he's causing us to you know, turn off the TV, to turn off uh, our devices, to, to, to spend more time uh, with him, to, to spend more time consecrating ourselves to the Lord. I, I believe that's what he's doing in this moment because he's doing it with me. And I think because he's doing it with me, he's going to do it with you as well. And then it says this, and this is where we sort of key in here. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now, this is important because we're understanding that naturally we just don't follow God. It's not in our, in our natural bent to live a life consecrated to God. He knows this. This is why he has given us his word. And this is why he has given us his commandments so that we can learn how, how that we are supposed to live as a people of God. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. And they're just super far apart. They're not kind of your ways or kind of my ways, but not really. No, he's saying as far as the heavens are from the earth. So a huge separation between the way that God thinks and works versus the way that we think and work. And so what we're having to do is we're having to retrain our mind to, to begin to function like people that, that actually follow God. I know that seems like a, a crazy idea, but I'll tell you, as, as a pastor, as someone who talks with people all the time, who talks with other pastors, talks with other people that travel around all over the world, dealing with churches, dealing with people, I will tell you that there are a lot of people 
that profess to follow Jesus, but their lives just don't reflect it. They, they, don't, they don't live in such a way that, that one would uh, expect uh, that a follower of Jesus lives. And I, I, think, I think the time of that, the, like the grace on that or whatever it is, uh, is drawing to an end. I believe the people of God are, are, are being called back to living like the people of God, to living holy lives. Holy means set apart, different. And we're to be different than the world. We're not to be the same. Uh, we're not to, to try and contextualize everything we do to the world. We will be different. The church in Acts, uh, the, 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 the people that weren't believers, that weren't a part of, of, the, of the group that was gathered together, that, that the Holy Spirit was moving in, that, that miracles and signs and wonders and things were happening. The people on the outside of that, they looked at those people and they said, boy, they're different. They were actually a little bit afraid because they weren't sure what was going to happen when they went in there because of the power of God moving. And so it should be with us today. We should be different. We should live a different life. Um, a follower of Jesus should should be you know, easily uh, marked and and it, sh- it should be something that uh, that changes every everything. And I'm afraid for too long, we've just sort of tacked on Jesus uh, and kept going in our direction. But, but the, the, the fundamental principle of following Jesus is that we stop what we're doing, we turn and we follow him in a different direction. And, and his direction is towards the cross, crucifying our own flesh and will and desires. And, and then it's towards the resurrected, empowered life uh, that, that is only brought about through the grace and empowerment and, and fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. So that's the point, okay? That's a big idea. I took a little bit too long to explain why we're talking about this. Because it seems a bit foundational, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, right? And so, um, you know, we, we see the Ten Commandments, they're, they're co-opted on, on different walls, on different memorials, on whatever. We may have studied them in Sunday school, but they're just, they're just rote. They're just something that we don't understand. And especially the one that we're talking about uh, today. The one we're going to talk about today, honestly, has given me the most amount of trouble in trying to think through and pray through you know, how, how are we going to, to think about this and, and, and to learn this? So I'm going to, uh, to read here. It's in Exodus 20. This is the third commandment. We're on the third commandment uh, today. Exodus 20, verse 7 says this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. What does that mean? Have you ever thought about it as a grown-up? I mean, as a kid, I, I thought that it meant like, don't say curse words that had God's name involved in it. And then I could sometimes do that and sometimes not do that. And I pretty much relegated it to that. Just don't, you know, don't say the curse words that involve God's names. Check. But as I studied it on this side, as a, as a grown-up, and, and begin to, to pray into that and think through that, what I've seen here is it's actually so much more. Uh, it's, it's so much more encompassing than what I thought it was. And so I'm excited uh, to talk through that uh, with you today. So remember, just some context here. God is delivering to his people that he called out of Egypt. He delivered out of Egypt, right? He, he rescued them. They were enslaved, bondage, chattel slavery for, for years and years and years and hundreds of years in Egypt 
you know, being beaten and, and tortured and starved. He goes in through Moses. He sends Moses. He rescues them out of Egypt and not just out of Egypt. Like he, he, he rescues them out of Egypt and then they take like so much plunder with them. The people are just giving them all of their gold and all of their stuff. Say, please take this and leave. So he rescues them out of this impossible situation through the Red Sea. It's parted, closes over and they find themselves on the other side and, and they're wandering through the desert uh, right now. And, and, and they're, they're wandering through uh, this wilderness being led into the place that they're heading to, which is the promised land. And so the people need to understand that, that life with God is different than life in Egypt. Egypt had gods. It had many gods. And the way that they worshiped those gods, the way that they prayed to those gods, the way that they interacted with those gods was very distinct. Uh, it was very different than the way that God is commanding his people to act now. Now, Paul tells us that anything other than, than, than the gospel of Jesus, any, any other god is actually demonic. Any other gospel is the gospel of demons. And so these weren't just powerless gods. We see in the, in, the, uh, in the Exodus story that, you know, because of the empowerment of evil from, from Satan and, and the demonic forces, the magicians could do similar things that, uh, that God was doing until God continued to crank the volume up and, uh, and, and showed that he actually is supreme. So, so this was an, I mean, this was an active place of spirituality uh, in Egypt. It was just evil spirituality. It wasn't what God had designed. And so, you know, you would do things, you would sacrifice things. Uh, you would try to, to manipulate the gods into doing things by, by doing things for them. Uh, you, you, would, you would do these strange worship practices and, and there were all these different kinds of gods and sometimes the gods would fight. And so these people have been in this place. They've been away from their God for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, God rescues them out of that place. And, and so he then takes them to the wilderness. He gathers them up into the mountain. He brings Moses up. He delivers these commandments. And, and these commandments are to help them understand how their relationship to him works. They're to help, him under, help the people understand how they're supposed to live. Someone said that it took a couple of days to get the people out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of the people because that's what the Lord was trying to do in the wilderness is he was trying to get them to, to trust in him only to believe in him only to listen to him, to obey him and to love him and, and to become intimate with him. That's what he's always wanted is, is intimacy with his people. And so it took them 40 years of getting that beaten out and, and, uh, Eventually, this generation couldn't make it in. There had to be the next generation that, that could go in. But this is what the context is. And so God comes. He delivers these Ten Commandments. And he gets to number three. And it says, don't take my name in vain. And we've boiled it down to saying, don't say curse words that have God's name involved in it. And as I began to look in this, I just began to break it down. And, and just to, okay, let's just get simple with it. And it first says, don't take my name my name. Well, what are the names of God? And what are, what are names anyway? Like what, what's the big deal with the name? And so you come to understand as you study 
that names in this time and and forward and even now mean something. They're not just they're not just names. They describe characteristics of people. They're they're given as prophetic declarations over people. Uh, they're they're given to 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 tell us about what kind of a person this is. And so when God says, "Don't take my name," what He's saying is, "Don't take my name and what my name represents." and what the characteristics of my name are, which means his nature, who he is, the, the very essence of who God is. He says, don't take that in vain. So we want to take a look at what does he say his names are? What are the names of God and, and, and what does that even mean? And so it says this, it says, uh, one of his names are El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. And this is taken from from uh, from a root word that, that denotes um, like like a, a mother hen taking them to their breast to feed them, uh, and so it, it talks about how God is is giving nourishment and blessing that He is our sustainer. That, that's what El Shaddai means. So what is His name? His name is He's the one who sustains us, right? He goes out and, and He continues to show them this through through manna, through uh, through the quail, through through the, the the water that springs forth from the rock. He He continues to He's trying to tell them. I am the one who sustains you and gives you breath and gives you life. It's me. It's God. You can go to uh, like Jehovah Nissi. Uh, it's, it's the Lord is my banner. Okay. So what does that mean? That's a good question. I wasn't sure either. And so, you know, thankfully there, there are people that are smarter than me and uh, have done more homework than I have. And, and, and what you find out is that during this time when people would go to war, there would be a certain group of people that would hold up a banner of the name of their tribe. And so as they're fighting, they could look up and, and see this symbol that symbolized something greater and something bigger, gave them a purpose, gave them a hope in the battle. And so the Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. He is our hope in times of trouble. Uh, Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd is one who feeds, who leads uh, his flock. An extended translation of that is is even it's it's even better I think uh, it's the Lord as a friend is a companion it's it's denoting the intimacy of God that he he named himself and he wants with us and for us he wants to be God our friend God our companion it's amazing uh, Jehovah Rapha this is one uh, that that. I say quite a bit, I may have even said it here, but it's the Lord that heals. He's the healer, the great physician. And, and as I've been praying with people, I, you know, I pray for, for people to, to receive healing and, and, and all of us do. And, and we see in, incredible healings that happen all the time um, because the Lord is, is, is the healer. And so sometimes as I'm praying for something, and even as I'm like, maybe I don't have faith uh, as I'm praying because it looks <clears throat> like something that, that might be too much. I'll pray and I'll say, God, you named yourself the healer and you would not name yourself a lie. And what I'm doing there is I'm reminding myself of who God is. He's the healer. So that's his name. Um, Jehovah Shema, the name that indicates that God has not abandoned us. They won't leave us in ruins or desolation. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, uh, the Lord is peace. Uh, you know, we have Jesus, the one that saves. Uh, we have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah. These are the names that he has given us. And so each one of these names denotes a characteristic, denotes a quality of who he is. And so he says, do not take those characteristics in vain.
And so we need to think too, what, what does that mean in vain? What, what, what does it mean to take the names of God in vain? Well, the word here, vain, is pretty simple. It's used in Exodus 27. We see it again in Jeremiah uh, 2, verse 30. It says this, In vain I have struck your children, but they took no correction. Jeremiah 4.30, In vain you beautify yourself, your lovers despise you. Jeremiah 6.29, In vain the refining goes on, for the wicked are not removed. Jeremiah 46.11, In vain you have used many medicines, and there is no healing for you. Malachi 3.14 says, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is it profit or what is the profit of our keeping his charge? So what does in vain mean? In vain in this sense it means in vain means that he spanked the children, but it's futile, empty, there's no correction. You put on makeup, but it's futile, it's empty, there you have no lovers. Uh, you put the wicked through refiner's fire, but it's futile, it's empty, there's no repentance. You take medicine, but it's futile, it's empty, it's pointless, there's no healing. You serve God, but it's futile, it's empty, there's no profit. In vain means futile, pointless, empty, no profit, no success, wasted. And so what does it mean then for us to take the name of the Lord, the nature of the Lord, in vain? Jesus says it like this. You, you, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It's, it's, it's in vain. These are, these are us taking the Lord in vain, his name in vain. So in other words, if I'm thinking, let's go back to the healing, Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. How do I take that in vain? Well, the way that I take that in vain is that I will put less weight on who he says he is, the healer, and more weight on the sickness or the disease that is afflicting me or a loved one or someone that I'm praying for. And so then I'll elevate that and I'll de-elevate this in reality, in my actions, in how I think and how I live. And so I may say, yes, God, you're the healer. But in my heart and in my mind, I don't believe it. I, I believe the sickness and the affliction is greater than God's ability to heal. And in that moment, I have taken the name Jehovah Rapha in vain. Because I haven't put my trust and hope into who he says he is. And this is the fundamental part of this idea of taking the Lord's name in vain. All of these things that the Lord says that he is... We are to put our hope, we're to anchor ourselves to them. They are supposed to be more true than anything that we experience anywhere else. They're supposed to be uh, our, our bedrock and our foundation. And remember, we're talking about restoring the foundation. We're talking about coming into an alignment that, that we can begin to build upon. But we can't build upon it if we don't have this foundation. And I, I can't even in my own life, but, but so many times in other people, I see where we just don't believe the things we say we believe. And, and I feel like if we could just stop, and if we could just agree that, that we will just decide within ourselves to believe, decide within ourselves that, that the things that the Lord says about him are true, and whatever else is going on, we're not sure how it all works. We, we don't have all the understanding. We don't have all the answers. But regardless of how this is playing out, 
this is the truth, what God has said, and these things here, we'll just put them on hold because we're putting our faith and our trust in who he says he is. And he wants his people to live that way, to live with, with those kind of kingdom eternal perspectives instead of having this temporal earthly perspective. Uh, we, we, do, we think about it with gravity. We don't think about gravity. We, we don't, when we step out, uh, step off of a stair, we're not sure if we're actually gonna float up or float down. We just know that's how gravity works. And if something happens that's, that's anti-gravity, we don't understand that because we know that gravity works. And so we'll continue to, to say, well, that doesn't make sense because gravity works. So it should be with God's nature, with who he says he is, with, with his goodness, with his omnipotence, uh, with his peace. You know, Jehovah Jireh, he's the Lord that provides. And so what if we just believed that he would provide? As people of God, what if we walked around in our daily lives and just said, hey, I don't know how this is going to happen, but God's the provider. You know? I think about Jesus when, when he's approached uh, and, and he's saying, hey, listen, we need money to pay taxes. We don't have any money. I don't know what we're going to do. This is what the disciples are saying. And Jesus understands that, I don't know, God's the provider. Like, we'll just see if God's going to provide. Maybe, I don't know, maybe pull that fish out of there. Pull, pull a fish out. I bet there's a coin in there because God's the provider. I don't know how coins get in fish's mouths, but I know that God's a provider and he's God and he made the fish. So pull the fish out. And then lo and behold, there's a coin. This is what Jesus did. That's crazy, right? It's only crazy until you realize that that truth, that God is the provider, is more true and more real, more powerful and more foundational than the truth that fish don't just swim around with coins in their mouths, right? That, that seems crazy to us. But it doesn't seem crazy if we just know that we know that we know that God's a provider. So what are we what are we worried about here? This is how we have to live. Like this is this is how the people of God are to live. And so God takes the people after these commandments and he, and he puts them in the in the place of barrenness, in a place where there's nothing there, and and he brings manna and he, and and it and it comes at just the right time with just the right amount. They can't take more, they can't take less. They have exactly what they need. And he does this for 40 years, 40 years. He provides exactly what they need, exactly when they need it, exactly what they need, exactly when they need it. And they gather some up and they put it in a jar. They put it in the Ark of the Covenant so that they can remember that God is the provider. Not maybe, but he is. And he wants them to understand this foundational wall that the followers of God will have their needs met. Now that's a relative term and people have misused this concept and said, well, I need a million dollars. Well, I doubt you do, but you might need a meal. You might need a coin. You might need something. And what if God didn't name himself a lie, but named himself one of the truest universal principles that has ever existed that God provides for his people. And what if we get that so deep down inside of us that we could live in such a way when, when reality came calling, whatever reality looks like, and it said, we don't have any money to pay taxes. 
our minds wouldn't go, oh no, what are we going to do? I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. What am I going to do? Oh, geez, so oh, geez, so oh, geez. We would go into, hey, where's God going to provide this for? The fish? That's the different mindset. When when, when we're, we're afflicted with sickness, when people that we love are afflicted with sickness and, and, and we're, we're worried and we're trying to pray and we're trying to muster up the faith instead of it seeing like, oh my gosh, this is cancer. Like this is stage three cancer, this is stage four cancer. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Instead of being there, we say, wow, wait a minute. God, God is the healer. Like God said he would heal. Like he heals. He's the healer. That's who he is. It's his nature. He wouldn't name himself a lie. So this is interesting. How is God going to heal this? This will be great to see. I can't wait to see. Let's keep praying. Let's keep contending. Oh, it didn't happen yet. Okay, well, God's still the healer. So let's continue. Let's continue to press in. I've seen so many people healed on the on the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 10th, 15th, 20th, 100th prayer meeting. Because the reality is that God is the healer. That's the reality. And so when we take his name in vain... We, we live lives, you know, professing to be followers of God, but denying every attribute that is associated with that God. And it's taking it in vain. And, and it's, 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 you know, it's, there's no condemnation here, but it's disrespectful. You know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of belief. It's a lack of trust. I mean, if my kids continually worried that I wasn't going to feed them their next meal, I would eventually be hurt. Like saying, how many times do I have to do this for you to realize that I'm going to feed you your next meal? Like, don't worry about this. Like, something's wrong here. There's a dysfunction in this relationship. Let's figure this out. Let's sit down. And so it is with God. This is how we take his name in vain. Is that we, we live in such a way, we think in such a way that puts so much uh, faith in our realities that we see here in the present. It puts so much trust in our bank account, so much trust in our paychecks, so much trust in our abilities to make something happen, so much trust in what the doctors say, and so little in who God says he is. And that is taking his name in vain. And we as like speaking to charismatics, in Pentecostals here that are a part of this. I'm one. We often say things like we want the miraculous, like, you know, we, we quote the scripture that we'll do greater things uh, than Jesus did on earth. Like, we want to see that. We want to see the dead raised. None of that's going to happen until we settle this issue, until we really genuinely do some work and realize that we don't really believe that God is who he says he is. And because we don't believe that God is who he says he is, we don't act like we're followers of God. And so we have, we have pitiful faith. We have pitiful expectations. We don't believe that God is capable. And it's taking his name in vain. And what does he say? What does he say that happens? It says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In other words, you get what you got. And, and I believe this is a moment that the Lord wants to, again, call us higher by restoring these foundations. If we could just believe the things here that he said, that he is the provider, he's the everlasting God, he is our peace, he is our righteousness, he is the one who sanctifies us, he is the one that heals, he is the one that is there, Jehovah Shammah, he is here now with us. He's not far off, he's there, he's here. He is our banner, that he is our hope. 
And what if we anchored our hearts and anchored our faith and anchored our lives to those truths and whatever else happens out there, that happens. And, and we're not sure how it all works out, but these things are true. Then I bet we would begin to see things happen in our own hearts, in our own lives, and in the lives of those people that we come in contact with that would blow us out of the water to see the miraculous inbreaking uh, of God's power and his provision. And he's asking us, will you believe what I say I am? Will you stop taking my name in vain? Stop bearing the guilt that comes with your pitiful, pitiless faith. And he says that lovingly. This is not condemnation. This is saying, please, he's pleading with us. Please believe who I say I am. Because there's other, we got to get past this. We got other things to do. But we'll never be able to walk into the things that he has for us if we don't get this point foundationally that he has named himself these things. These things describe who he is. He is not a liar. He would not name himself a lie. And these are truths that we have to become uh, anchored upon. That means that we will never, again, take his name in vain. That's how we do that. And so, as we close here, I, I want us to repent, to seek the Lord while he may be found. To understand that his ways are not our ways. That means like saying, you're saying, okay, God told us this. God told us that he's the provider. Okay. Now his ways are not my ways. So I can't rationalize how I'm seeing everything towards that. I have to use this to help me understand everything else. So you're the provider. I have no money in the bank. I can't say I have no money in the bank. So you're not a provider because my ways are not your ways. His ways are higher than our ways. So I have to then say, you're my provider. I have no money in the bank. You're my provider. I have no money in the bank. I wonder how this money is going to come in that you're going to give me because you're the provider. This is how a renewed mind sees God, relates with God, and quits taking his name in vain. That's how it works. So the only way we can do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his grace, seeking him while he may be found, repenting of how we have taken his name in vain, and then asking him to show us his nature, to reveal that into us, not just tablets of stone, but to write them on our hearts so that we believe. And that's what we're going to do right now as we pray. Father, we come to you while you may be found. Thank you for giving us this chance. Thank you for giving us this warning, this this time that we can come and restore our foundation. Thank you for speaking to us because you are speaking because you can be found. We thank you for that, Father. We repent. I repent of taking your name in vain. I repent of not acting like I believe what I say I believe about you. I repent for not believing what you say you are and who you say you are and how you say you interact with us. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Help me. Help me to see your nature as more true than anything else that I interact with. Help me to see your characteristics, your attributes, who you are and, and what that means in my life. Help me to see that as, as a greater reality, a greater truth than anything I experience anywhere else. Holy Spirit, would you help me to do this? Would you write this on the tablet of my heart? These names, would you write who you are on the tablet of my heart? so that I cannot stray from them. Would you renew our minds? Would you give us the mind of Christ 
so that we can see things through that lens, through kingdom lenses. And we thank you that we have the privilege to call upon the God who says that he will provide, the God that says he will heal, the God that says that he wants to be friends with us. What an amazing, amazing, amazing thing that is. You are so good. You're so kind. You're so holy. We bless your name, Lord. Lord, we say that you are the provider. You are the healer. You are close. You are friend. You are all-powerful. You are omnipotent. You are the great I am. We bless your name, Father. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. So, I'm excited because I, I think... I think this means that we're going to we're going to get this and we're going to be able to see the Lord do some incredible things. Listen, there are some of you right now that that are needing provision. And you're hearing this message and the Lord is saying he will provide. He will provide. He will provide. So if you need that provision, instead of worrying about where the provision is coming from, begin to have an expectation of how your God will provide. There are some of you that need healing. And you're wondering, how is this going to work out? The doctors may have said that this is never going to change. You, you may have been given uh, a death sentence by this sickness. And instead of worrying about that, I believe the Lord is calling you to say, how will my God, the healer, work this out? I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see it. There are those of you that have no peace. You have no peace. Your relational situations are causing so much turmoil and anxiety and, and, and fear and oppression. And, and there's nowhere that you feel like you can go. And, and maybe you've even turned to drugs and alcohol or other things to sort of numb that out because there's just there's never any peace. There's never been peace. But what the Lord is saying today to you right now is he's saying that he is peace. He, he is it. And he wants to bring that to you today. So I'm excited. I can't wait to hear testimonies. Listen, uh, write us in what the Lord is doing in your life. Um, it's it's just an amazing thing uh, to hear. Join us for prayer. Uh, each Thursday, you can sign up for that on our website, and we'll pray for you. You can submit your prayer requests. We hope to see you in our home churches. We, we're, we're starting new ones all, all the time, it seems like. We hope to see you uh, at our worship uh, together meetings, and, and I hope to see you right back here. Um, next week. So we bless you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nationalvineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.